Hello, I'm Andrew Tuck and you're listening to Tall Stories on Monocle 24, brought to you by the team behind The Urbanist, the show all about the cities we live in. Buried beneath a small farming town in the western part of Canada's capital city, there exists a vast underground facility. Now housing Canada's Cold War Museum, this underground network was once a central emergency government headquarters and it tells a story of the anxious politics at play in the 1960s and the peculiar infrastructure this anxiety brought about. To find out more about how this bunker came to be, Paul Logothetis brings us this tall story. In the 1960s, anxiety over nuclear Armageddon led governments around the world to seek safety below the surface of the earth. In Ottawa, Canadian Prime Minister John Diefenbaker commissioned the construction of a 100,000 square foot, 215 foot deep bunker in the nearby community of Carp. The quaint farming town, 30 kilometers from the nation's capital, was designated to host the central emergency government headquarters in the event of a nuclear attack. The Diefenbunker, as it would be coined, would be the seat of government hosting up to 600 government and military officials for up to 30 days in the event of nuclear war. Today, the Diefenbunker is Canada's Cold War Museum, a national historic site and a relic to Canada's role in reaction to the Cold War. The Diefenbunker was the largest of the 36 bunkers built nationwide, and its construction lasted just 18 months from 1959, with 1,000 workers passing through the site. The Diefenbunker's underground city is laid out over four floors and held together by 32,000 cubic yards of hand-poured concrete and 5,000 tons of steel. Journalist George Bramble coined the name Diefenbunker during his investigation into the mysterious construction site that the government had officially billed as a communication center. With a bird's-eye view, Bramble spotted an unlikely clue that ultimately exposed this Potemkin village for what it was, according to curator Sean Campbell. He was working through the Toronto Telegram, and he hired a plane and flew over the site, and he took pictures of what was going on. And the thing he identified was the amount of toilets that were outside that were going to be installed. So <laughs> washrooms could be a dead giveaway. The architectural feats of the Diefenbunker begin at the entrance and its 379-foot-long blast tunnel. It was designed to absorb the Mach 2 energy shockwave of a 5-megaton nuclear blast from 2 kilometers away. The high level of protection also means the structure is airtight and would float if dropped into the ocean. It was a feat of engineering. You know, it was the first use of the critical path method for a construction project that was developed in the 1950s. So the critical path method being an algorithm for scheduling a set of project activities. If funny enough, its origins was with DuPont and the Manhattan Project. So the building of the bunker itself had roots in the building of atomic bombs. Stepping into the bowels of the building is like walking into a mid-century office housed in a submarine. Long, beige-colored hallways are highlighted by sharp fluorescent tube lighting and its incessant humming. The top-secret facility was shuttered in 1994 and little has been altered since, leaving the reality of life underground intact. The war cabinet room is decked out with coffee pots and ashtrays for those long sessions, with maps decorating the walls and original TV sets hanging from the ceilings. Nothing sits unfastened here, The rotary telephones are all glued to desks to avoid turning into flying projectiles during a shockwave. 
Same goes for manual typewriters and filing cabinets inside ministry offices like Central Mortgage and Housing Corporation or Industry Trade and Commerce. Metal and plastic were favored for most furnishings, with the Prime Minister's office holding one of the few wooden desks. The PM was also one of the few with privacy, his drab quarters made up of a single bed and ensuite bathroom. Diefenbaker himself never stepped foot inside the structure upon learning his wife Olive would never be able to join him. All personnel admitted had to leave their family behind. One former employee, he said, you know, I had to think about my baby boy and, and my wife and they would be ashes. And it was very powerful when I was going through the oral histories to develop the audio guide, hearing that sound. And I thought it would be impactful for people to remember that. Strolling through the maze of offices, decontamination rooms, and canteens, it's easy to imagine an extended sojourn here morphing into its own version of The Shining. Especially as you peer through a plate glass window into a squat isolation bunk, where those displaying worrying mental health signs were placed. Many areas came to be used in unorthodox ways. The kitchen freezer was the backup mortuary in the event of overflow, and a Bank of Canada vault designed to house gold ultimately only ever guarded one prized item, beer. Today, the Diefenbunker's nostalgic trip provides a unique setting for modern-day activities, hosting Canada's two largest escape rooms, a Halloween zombie walk, and as a film set for Hollywood, including Ben Affleck's The Sum of All Fears. Kids can come to spy camp and even have their birthday parties hosted here. A small morsel of fun in a site built on fear. You've been listening to Tall Stories, a Monocle 24 production. Today's episode was written by Paul Logothetis and produced and edited by David Stevens. Remember to tune in on Thursday for the full 30-minute edition of The Urbanist. I'm Andrew Tuck. Goodbye, and thank you for listening, city lovers. <laughs>